Welcome to Rom Commentary. I'm Kendall. And I'm Haley. We're cousins, friends, and rom-com superfans. While we have very different experiences with this genre, we both love it and want to take the rom-com seriously in a way it often isn't. We're using our backgrounds in film and theater analysis to break down these movies. So without further ado, let's get into this week's rom-com. Keeping with last week's theme of Nora Ephron, this week we're chatting about You've Got Mail. Yes, as we told you last week, so you knew your homework. (laughs) Hopefully you did it, or you didn't, and you're here anyway. Regardless, welcome back. You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. Yeah, if we were just saying before we started recording, we're both nervous this (laughs) week. And I don't know why. I think that often we're a little bit more like, I know how I feel. Mm -hmm. I have my thoughts gathered. I, like, really have a strong argument. This week, I don't really feel like I'm fully solid on, like, my arguments. I know how I feel. Yes. But I'm not, like, solid, solid locked in. So I think that as we talk, things are going to come together differently than they normally do. I'll agree. I think often I, like, the way I usually do my notes for this is I, like, have my notes, I answer the questions, and then I have, like, three sentences that I'm, like, these are things I have to say. Here are my thesis statements. Yeah. And I don't have any, like, big statements that I feel like I have to say about this movie. Yeah. It's, I think that I'm going to have more, like, oomph on some things. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that might help. I really love when that happens and then we get to have, like, a mind meld moment. It's my favorite. Excited for it. Okay. So with that said, should we start how we always start with some background? Yes. You've Got Mail, 1998, released December 18th, 1998, rated PG. Once again, I'll point out that there was a time where PG-13 didn't exist, but this is not from that time. PG-13 existed, and if you watch the movie, you're like, yeah, this does make sense that it's PG, even though often with rom-coms, they're PG-13, and you feel like rom-com, PG-13, done Mm -hmm. deal. Not always. Not a hard and fast rule. Runtime of one hour and 59 minutes, and here's the premise or synopsis. Book superstore magnate Joe Fox and independent bookshop owner Kathleen Kelly fall in love in the anonymity of the internet, both blissfully unaware that he's trying to put her out of business. Written by Miklos Laszlo, Nora Ephron, and Delia Ephron. Delia and Nora are sisters. Mm -hmm. I figure that would come up if you're listening to those names. Directed by Nora Ephron. Also, I don't know if we said this last week, but I'll give the other Nora Ephron projects for those who might not know. She wrote and produced When Harry Met Sally. She wrote and directed Sleepless in Seattle, Mixed Nuts, You've Got Mail, Bewitched, and Julie and Julia, among other projects she has participated in. Yeah, she also has a lot of essays that are published as well as some plays that were on Broadway. A beloved writer, director, artist, creator, all of that. Yes. Interesting. What? Also, she was the first person to figure out who Deep Throat was in the Watergate scandal. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I just, like, remember that sometimes, and I'm like, that's insane. Yeah, I go on a deep dive with that one if you don't know what we're talking about. Fascinating part of American history right there. <laughs> Truly. An important lady. This is one of the most interesting pieces of background I found. Once again, Nick Castle was the original director, which, if you remember from last week, I said there was... A producer on Sleepless in Seattle, I believe it was Gary Foster, who was in talks with Nick Castle about the project, and Nick Castle was like, 
helping develop the project, was probably going to direct, and then he departed due to creative differences, um, kind of, like, about vision, right? So Nora Ephron had the idea for Sleepless in Seattle to be a little bit edgier, I think, was the thing, like, a grittier, something like that. She wanted it to be funny. Yes, and he wanted, like, a sentimental, sweet story, and so he departed the project. Nora Ephron ended up doing Sleepless in Seattle, so weird to me that it was the same thing here. This is five years later, and we have the same story. He was originally going to direct, and then he departed due to creative differences. I wonder if they had, like, beef? I'm like, what was going on between those two? I'm so curious. I'm also fascinated. I just, because it's the second week it came up, I just, mm-hmm. just want to look at Nick Castle's IMDb real quick. We don't really have rom-coms at all. Um... I I don't think this is a rom-com, but the closest thing that we have to our world is August Rush in 2007. Oh, that just brought, like, I've said before, I have a crazy memory. I remember <laughs> everything. I remember having, like, a sleepover party blow-up fight over that movie. I did it. <laughs> it was my birthday, and we had rented a bunch of movies, and I absolutely did not want to watch August Rush. I was like, hell no, I am not watching that movie. No, I didn't even want to rent it. I was so pissed. Like, my friends wanted to watch it. I was being a bitch. I was being horrible. That's hilarious because I have a similar memory about August Rush. I just had no interest in this, like, sad British boy who plays music. <laughs> That's, like, what I remember of that movie. I don't know how accurate that is. I've since watched it. It's a good movie. It is. Yeah, we, we ended up watching it that yeah. night. And I was like, shit, this it's is good. good. Yeah. I remember getting the, I was at our grandparents' house, and I was like, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> This podcast is just all about how much we hate August Rush and then being proven wrong yeah. that it's a decent movie. <laughs> Back to today. Uh, this movie stars Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, obviously. As we learned last week, they have starred in many things together, yes. beginning with Joe, Joe versus the Volcano. Vol- <laughs> Joe versus the Volcano. <laughs> Joe versus the Volcano from 1990 and then 93, Sleepless in Seattle, 98, You've Got Mail, and then 2015, Ithaca, which I know nothing about, but huh? there you go. This is their third project together. This is their third rom-com. This is our second of their movies and our second 90s movie, which is interesting because I feel like this movie feels like it's 2003. Yes, and the movie, was it 2001 that... Um, the Wedding Planner? The Wedding Planner. Yes, I was going to say. And that one feels 90s and this one feels 2000s. Totally. It's a weird, like, flip there. Yeah. yeah there's a couple of movies we've done, like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, The Wedding Planner... Maybe one or two others. Mm-hmm. So, kind of weird. Budget of $65 million, a worldwide gross of $250.8 million, and a domestic gross of $115.8 million. Big numbers. Big numbers. Worldwide, a higher gross than Sleepless in Seattle by 23-ish million, mm-hmm. but domestically lower than Sleepless in Seattle by 10 million-ish. My guess is... Seattle played a part in that like I was gonna say the same right thing, like yeah. domestically we're more familiar with Seattle I think I mean internationally people know Seattle but like still you know what but I mean? it feels like a very like it places the movie very specifically mm-hmm. in the title this one once you start the movie you're placed very specifically in New York yeah but New York is more accessible as a location for a wider audience mm-hmm. than Seattle is yeah but then, like, Seattle's fun because it's like, oh, it's different. We don't have all movies set here. We're New York. It's like, all mm-hmm. movies are in New York. Yes. <laughs> all love stories are in New York. It's the only place to fall in love. If you want to find love, then you know where the city is. 
Rotten Tomatoes numbers, 70% critic, 73% audience. These are lower than Sleepless in Seattle, but not by much. Sleepless in Seattle had 75 across the board. Still very high numbers. High numbers, yeah. I personally, you'll find out, like this movie so, 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 so much more than Sleepless in Seattle. Mm -hmm. We were hard on that movie last week, and hopefully people came back despite that being a beloved movie and us kind of not loving it. Yeah. Landscape of the year, top grossing worldwide. Armageddon, Saving Private Ryan, Godzilla, There's Something About Mary. Interesting. Yeah. A Bug's Life, Mulan, Dr. Doolittle, Shakespeare in Love, Lethal Weapon 4, The Truman Show. Number 11, Enemy of the State. Number 12, You've Got Mail. Up there on the list. This is a really fascinating list. Yeah. Big year for movies. Big year for movies. I mean, A Bug's Life. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was referring to. Yeah. A big year for movies and some of our similar themes of, like, spectacle movies, right? Like Armageddon, mm -hmm. Saving Private Ryan. You're always going to have war movies and stuff like yeah. that that pop in here. Shakespeare in Love, kind of a different type, but still, like, a serious movie. Yeah. The Truman Show, a unique movie. I just, it makes sense that that's in here because it's such a unique concept that people yeah. wanted to see it. Yeah. I just feel like there were so many movies on that list that had so much staying power. I think back to when you mm -hmm. read that list last week and I didn't know a lot of them. I have heard of all of these movies. Yeah. These are all movies that you know. I mean, <laughs> Lethal Weapon 4 is funny to see in there just because it's a sequel. Like, yeah. It's obviously like, yeah, we've heard of Lethal Weapon. Yeah. But it's funny that it's the fourth one that's on the list. It's just kind of Because it's the fourth Lethal Weapon. Exactly. The first three are actually Lethal Weapon 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> yeah. So they were before this one. Yeah. Uh, Rom-coms of the year and of the time. So 1998, this year, we had... The Wedding Singer, Overnight Delivery, Hope Floats, Can't Hardly Wait, There's Something About Mary, The Parent Trap, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Practical Magic, Shakespeare in Love. They're like rom-com or rom-com adjacent. The year after, 1999, we've got Notting Hill, Never Been Kissed, Ten Things I Hate About You, Forces of Nature, She's All That, Message in a Bottle, The Best Man, Runaway Bride. Wow. Yeah. The year before, 1997... Fools Rush In, Love Jones, Chasing Amy, Fever Pitch, the UK version. We covered the US version, which mm -hmm. is 2005, I believe. This is the UK version, which was the first one. My Best Friend's Wedding, Picture Perfect, Out to Sea, In and Out, The Matchmaker, As Good As It Gets, Addicted to Love, One Fine Day. Rom-com or rom-com adjacent. Again, Absolutely. I can't vouch for all those movies. The other 90s movies I want to point out that kind of go in this world. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Jerry Maguire, While You Were Sleeping, Sleepless in Seattle, Pretty Woman. That's what I have. That's kind of where we're living. Mm -hmm. This is totally a 90s movie, like it goes with these, but it feels way more like 2003 than I was expecting. I think it's like the technology focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. But what a time for rom-coms. Yeah, the 90s were like such a big rom-com moment. Yeah. There's like the 90s and then there's the Renaissance. Those mm -hmm. are, I think, like the two eras that pop a lot on the pod, like talk about both of those times Absolutely. frequently. And this is, like, early in us kind of dipping our toes into those 90s movies. Mm -hmm. Would you like to answer some questions? Let's chat about them. You know I've got questions. Haley, how did you experience this movie? The first time that I saw this movie was actually, I guess, almost exactly a year ago. I watched this in, like, doing homework for hmm. writing rom-coms. Yeah. And I was like, okay, and I watched this and When Harry Met Sally mm -hmm. in... The midst of a Nora deep dive yeah. for a class project. It's work you gotta do. There's research yeah. you gotta do if you're gonna write a rom-com. And I liked it then, 
but I was watching it with a different kind of analytical eye than Mm -hmm. what I watched to, like, take notes for this podcast. So it was, like, an interesting watch in that I didn't... I liked it better this watch. Okay, so I was going to say, when Mm -hmm. we talked about doing this movie, you mentioned this could be an interesting one because you don't really like it. Yeah. But I think that you like it more now than you did when you said that, right? Yes. Yeah. I saw this after I saw Sleepless in Seattle, which, as we all know, I didn't love. And I wasn't expecting much from this movie because of that. Mm -hmm. There's a couple other reasons, Haley, that I wasn't expecting much. And it's a little embarrassing, okay? I don't like her haircut. Therefore, I thought, this is going to be a bad movie. She has a bad haircut. She does have a really bad haircut in it's this like movie. painfully dated. Like, the, that haircut is, like, the most 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s thing about that the movie. That haircut and... Aside from AOL, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah, and the intro sequence. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, her haircut really threw me off. Like, I didn't like it, and I was just like, no. And then Tom Hanks threw me off, because you and me, Tom Hanks hasn't done rom-coms since we've been, like, conscious of movies, mm-hmm. right? So... Seeing a movie where it's like, yeah, Tom Hanks is the leading man in a rom-com. You and me are like, that's Forrest Gump. What is he doing in a rom-com? Like, that's, that's Tom Hanks. That's Ameri- Woody from Toy Story. Yeah, that's America's dad. That's yeah. like this guy that we have this certain idea of. How could he possibly be a leading man in a rom-com? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, same goes for like George Clooney. Like, he's done a couple of rom-coms. Yeah. And I'm like, what? You're George Clooney. Like, Ides of March. Mm-hmm. And... You know, all the other movies. I like that the only one George Clooney movie I can think of is The Ides of March. <laughs> I, apologies, George. Um, yeah. I just didn't go into this expecting a rom-com that I was going to like or, like, mm-hmm. a standard rom-com. I thought, these are not my people. These are not my rom-com people. I was pleasantly surprised when I first saw this movie, and I really liked it a lot. Weird. I was confused by that, and just really loved the movie and I think that because I was expecting so little I liked it more mm-hmm. right like I really did not like Sleepless in Seattle and this I watched after that so I was kind of expecting yeah. the same thing to happen and I watched this right after When Harry Met Sally and really I think that the rule should be when you watch When Harry Met Sally for the first time you're not allowed to watch any other movies for two weeks yeah <laughs> you really you should not you should just stick to that one yeah yeah did you like it? I just said, I, yeah. I did, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not my favorite rom-com, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed it more this time, and I can definitely appreciate it as a rom-com, even though, and my big problem is I don't really like him. Yes. Okay. You don't like... Tell me why. Because I think I know why, but for the people... I was just, I was feeling really angry at him when he was befriending her mm-hmm. with the, and emailing her with the knowledge, like, he mm-hmm. knew everything and she knew nothing, and I was getting really upset at him. Yes. And as a movie, I understand why that makes it, like, Good compelling and compelling because it makes it complex and there's like tension. This, yeah, this back and forth. But I just was like, I need you to tell her right now. It's like an anxiety-inducing mm-hmm. thing in the movie, right? I'm gonna make a case for it as we keep talking. Absolutely, I've got some reasons why it works for me, and I understand why it doesn't work for people. I think that that's like the big hang-up with the movie is like 
there's a couple complex issues that the movie seems to just glide over. Also, he did put her out of business. Yeah, that's like a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Big problem there. But again, I will make a case. Mm -hmm. I will make a case as we keep going. Some of the things that stuck for me is like why I liked it so easily are the coloring. Mm -hmm. So Sleepless in Seattle looks like the 90s. It's dark. It's dreary. It's like neutrals, except for the kids' coats, like colorful. (laughs) This movie is immediately like much more modern. It's brighter. It's cheerier. The song Dreams by the Cranberries is in there early with a montage. It's cheery, bright, light, like so up compared to Sleepless in Seattle, which is so slow and like... Mm -hmm sad looking right yeah you just compare the two intro songs in those movies and that's really all you need to make that argument yeah i mean this reminded me more of like we just the most recent one that we talked about that i thought of is friends with benefits Mm -hmm. where it has that light cinematography that light coloring brightness airiness to it Mm -hmm. in a way that is different from some of the other 90s movies. Absolutely. You also look at the set design of her bookstore, the shop around the corner, mm-hmm. and just how, like, joyful the full, like, background is in that store. It's a real strength of the movie. One of the big things is that aspirational quality of this movie, mm-hmm. right? Uh, she runs an adorable bookshop that is so perfect and curated and cozy. She lives in New York City in a ridiculous apartment that is huge and gorgeous, and mm-hmm. her life just seems lovely, I mean, it gets ruined, obviously, but she still stays in her apartment, and she seems fine. And she's able to break up with her anti-technology boyfriend. Very easily. Yeah. Yeah, there's such an aspirational quality to the movie that I think is a big part of its staying power. Most iconic or quotable line or moment. I have several quotes written down. Some are definitely iconic, and some are just lines that I liked. And that sounded good. Yeah, I think that most of what I clocked was just things that I liked. Yeah, I think the most iconic quote, I think, is when they finally meet at the end and she learns that it's him. (laughs) She says to him, I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. Yes. I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. It's just sweet. It's just a sweet line. Mm -hmm. Her admitting how much she likes him. And we know how much he likes her because of all this effort we've just seen him put in. Yeah. And we know that she knows now that he likes her. Like, it's it's all coming together. So it's a great moment. And then the line is good because it's kind of similar to that line that I imagined at the end of Sleepless in Seattle of, like, it's you. It's you. Oh, my gosh. It's you. Like, this is it. We're soulmates. That's the idea at the end of Sleepless. This is a similar kind of thing, except for it's spoken out loud. And I really like the honesty of that moment of like, I wanted it to be you. I'm admitting it. And Mm -hmm. I feel safe telling you that. Yes. Another one of her lines that I really like that feels very vulnerable in a similar way is when he says to her, like, it wasn't personal about the book bookstore being closed. And she says it wasn't personal to you, but it was personal to me. It wasn't personal. What, what is that supposed to mean? I'm so sick of that. All that means is that it wasn't personal to you. But it was personal to me. It's personal to a lot of people. I mean, what is so wrong with being personal anyway? Uh, nothing. Because whatever else anything is, it ought to begin by being personal. That's one of my favorite moments in the movie, and it's such a female moment, mm-hmm. right? 
I mean, personally, that's how I feel all the time. I'm like, yeah. don't say it wasn't personal. That doesn't help. It feels like something that is uh, everything's copy mm-hmm. from Nora moment. And there's a few of those in this movie where I'm like, even though this is totally speculation, yeah, I'm like, I can see her saying that to someone or mm-hmm. something similar where like, you know, something that she's writing being called too sentimental and that's like that feeling and her being able to transfer that and there's also the moment where Kathleen says maybe he saw me and left and like wasn't attracted to me and then we have an essay that Nora wrote that has very like that entire sentiment and so I feel like in this movie more than any of the others I like can clock the Nora Ephron in it which is always fun. There's something about this movie that feels much more real to Mm -hmm. me than a lot of other rom-coms, which sounds silly because this looks and feels like a traditional rom-com all the way through, right? Like the coloring and the apartment, like we just said, like it has all these tropes and all these things that are like, Mm -hmm. this is insane. This is unrealistic. But there's so much authenticity in lines like that and in moments like that. Yeah. This personal thing or this sentimentality, whatever it is feels really real. I love that personal line. It's one of my favorites in the movie and it totally stands out and feels Mm -hmm. very real and true to life. Yeah. Some of the other ones that I have written down, a cute one is just, he sees the photograph of her and her mom and he says, is that you in the photograph? What are you doing? And she says, twirling. My mom and I used to do a lot of twirling. Something like that. It's just cute. Mm -hmm. It's really cute. Yeah. When she's reflecting on her emails with Joe, she says, The odd thing about this form of communication is that you're more likely to talk about nothing than something. This is another one I have written down. But I just want to say that all this nothing has meant more to me than so many somethings. A classic Nora Ephron line. Yeah. Really good. A very sweet one is Joe wondering if things could have turned out differently if he met Kathleen under different circumstances. You know, sometimes I wonder. What? Well... If I hadn't been Fox Books, and you hadn't been the shop around the corner, and you and I had just met. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I would have asked for your number. And I wouldn't have been able to wait 24 hours before calling you up and saying, hey, how about, oh, how about some coffee or, you know, drinks or dinner or a movie? For as long as we both shall live. That line, right, of for as long as we both shall live, he's essentially proposing or saying that he would have proposed to her immediately, like on site, basically. Which is fascinating when you think about his character's relationship to marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? They do the trope of it's all because of my dad. It's all because Mm -hmm. of this thing. My parents. And his dad has been married a bunch of times, and he has Mm -hmm. the aunt and the nephew or cousin, brother. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. These kids. Yeah. So very interesting and such a sweet moment in line. I love that between the two of them. And then they part ways, and you know they're going to see each other again because, well, we do, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Very sweet. A funny little one is Kathleen says, I could never be with someone that has a boat. And he says, (laughs) I have a boat. She says, oh. And he says, which clinches it, we'll never be together. <laughs> Another funny. just like silly little Kathleen line is she's talking about her store closing and she's like, and it's going to become something depressing, like a baby gap. <laughs> yes, that's a great one. The last one I have written here mm-hmm. is 
when Joe and his friend Kevin, played by Dave Chappelle, interesting, when they go, and there's background on that okay. book here in just a I second. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Interesting way that he got involved. But they go to find, well, they go to meet the girl from online, who turns out to be Kathleen. Mm-hmm. And Joe has a line to Kevin saying, Kevin, this woman is the most adorable creature I've ever been in contact with. And if she turns out to be even as good looking as a mailbox, I'd be crazy not to turn my life upside down and marry her. There's a lot of, like, marriage mentions, which is Mm -hmm. interesting, again, like you said, because of his relationship to marriage from his father. Do you want to know why Dave Chappelle is involved? Yeah. Okay, so he auditioned for Forrest Gump and got offered the role of Bubba and turned it down because he thought that Forrest Gump wasn't going to be successful. He was obviously wrong. Uh And so then he saw how successful it was. He was like, ah, damn, like, I should have done that project. Mm -hmm. And then when this project came around, Tom Hanks and Chappelle had, like, talked or something. And so he was like, oh, I'm going to get you involved in this one. Like, you should do this movie with me now. Yeah. So it was like he had regretted not doing that project. So then he ended up doing this one. And, I mean, obviously not the same as Forrest Gump. (laughs) But sweet that Tom Hanks, like, thought of him and, like, talked to Nora and got Chappelle in here. Yeah. Um, One other line that just like kind of stuck with me that I want to point out is Joe's email about Starbucks being ordering coffee for people incapable of making decisions to make six decisions so that they have a sense of self. The whole purpose of places like Starbucks is for people with no decision making ability whatsoever to make six decisions just to buy one cup of coffee. Short, tall, light, dark, calf, decaf, Low fat, non fat, etc. So people who don't know what the hell they're doing or who on earth they are can, for only two ninety five, get not just a cup of coffee, but an absolutely defining sense of self. Tall, decaf, cappuccino. Yeah, that's one of the things that I have in Is It Funny? Is like he does this yeah. whole monologue thing about coffee and he ends it with saying tall decaf cappuccino and then a guy immediately orders exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a whole funny little bit. And also at the time, obviously now Starbucks is everywhere, but at the time Starbucks had been introduced, I believe in 71, something like that in mm-hmm. the 70s, but really just in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So it was out here, it was growing, and then... In the 90s, I believe, is when it really, like, boomed and it was everywhere. So, funny to take a stab at Starbucks. Funny that he's opening a bookstore. Like, we'll keep going with that whole thing. It's interesting. Is there a meet cute? My question, I guess, because there's a scene that I would consider their meet cute, which is when that feels like fulfilling the meet cute beat in a Mm rom-com, which is when he comes to the bookstore with the kids. Yeah. That feels like it fulfills the meet cute beat. Mm-hmm. But they know each other, kind of. We don't see their first emails. That's one of the most fascinating things about the movie, is we meet them after they've already met each other, mm-hmm. but online. They meet yeah. in person when we're with them. Mm-hmm. But before we arrive, before the movie starts, they already are talking. And what I love is there's a line in... The second email we see, Joe's first email that we see to her, mm-hmm. which is, I love to start my emails as if I'm already in conversation with you. Mm. And it's like, okay, so we're starting this movie already in conversation with these people. Yeah. It's very, like, meta or on yeah. the nose or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. Self-reflective. Call it what you what you want to call it. But, 
yeah, I really like when writers do that kind of thing. And I always imagine writers writing those little moments and being like, ha, 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 I'm so silly. It's cute. I've done that as a writer, too. Oh, yeah. And it's fun. So when we talk about meet-cutes, there's the version that we've talked about before of, like, the actual moment, the meeting. And then mm-hmm. there's, like, the how. So, right, like, the accidental part or the whatever. What's funny is that their how did you meet is we met online. Mm-hmm. Which, not a meet cute at all now, but at the time, I think, was maybe considered a meet cute, right? Mm-hmm. That's unusual. It's unique. But now it's like, that's like the way that people meet. Yeah. Kind of funny. Which, <laughs> to jump ahead, you couldn't make this movie today. You couldn't. I would love a remake of this movie. I would be curious to see what they would do to, like, make it work with how things are currently with online dating. Mm-hmm. If they'd do a completely different thing, you know? Well, actually, we'll get there when we say where else have we seen this story. Yeah, because we've seen this story a couple times. Mm-hmm. So they actually meet at the bookstore, and then they meet again at the party. Because at the bookstore they meet, but they don't meet. Because he mm-hmm. didn't doesn't tell her who he is. Yeah. And they also don't know that they know each other online. But then at the party, she finds out who he is, and then they talk. And then they see each other again at the grocery store, and they keep, like, just bumping into each other throughout the movie. Yes. They hate each other, but then throughout the movie, they're also talking online. It's kind of like there's four different people in this movie. There's online Joe, there's online Kathleen, and there's Mm -hmm. real-life Kathleen and real-life Joe. Yeah. But I would say online and offline Joe feel different, and online and offline Kathleen feels pretty much the same. Yes. So it's kind of like there's three people. Um, the other thing is before they even meet at the bookstore, we see them in the background of each other's scenes, like mm-hmm. they're when they're walking past. And so yeah. it's like you as the audience know that there's like, oh my gosh, there's your missed connection. There's your missed connection. Mm-hmm. But they have no clue. I love those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I love it. What are the tropes? Are they effective? Um, there's a handful. There's quite a few tropes. Uh, virtual romance. Yes. Which I thought of the movies The Perfect Man, Sleepless in Seattle, and The Perfect Man are weirdly similar, and we didn't even talk about it last week. It's like meddling kids, putting people together, like, really weird. And this is like a mixture of all of those in a pot together. All three of those kind of like are a mix. The movie that I thought of, I'll give it away now, where have we seen this story before? A Cinderella story. Oh. Because they know each other in real life. And they know each other online, but they're very different relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And then one of them finds out and one of them doesn't. Yeah. And then the story keeps going. A Cinderella story is weirdly similar to this movie. Which my silly one that I had written down mm-hmm. is Camp Rock. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's very similar. So weird. Uh, the other tropes, disposable fiancé. Both of them are in relationships. They aren't great relationships, and they end up ending. Mm-hmm. And I do just want to point out that both of them are in relationships with, you guessed it, journalists. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird. Oh, my gosh. That trope that just keeps on coming back. There's old people. Just mm-hmm. in the beginning, like, his family has, like, old people, like, insightful old people. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Let's take this moment to talk about something that I... Don't know if I love or hate. Okay. Um, Happy to help figure it out. Yeah. His grandpa Mm -hmm. had a similar relationship with her mother. Yes. That's one of the weird things in the movie to me is that they introduce that concept, right? They Mm -hmm. talk about the shop around the corner at the beginning of the movie, all the Fox men talking about it, right? Because their big bookstore is potentially going to put this little one out of business. 
Okay, so they talk about it, and Grandpa says, I had a relationship kind of with the lady that ran it, which is Kathleen's mom. We exchanged letters. Yes. She had the most beautiful handwriting. You wait for that to come back around and be relevant. Never again. Never again. It's just this one little drop at the beginning. Feels silly to me. Mm -hmm. I don't need that. No, I could have done without it. It just felt unnecessary, and... I, I forgot about it, honestly, because it was, like, so, yeah. such a throwaway. I'm, like, I like it a little bit in the sense of, like, we're dealing with, like, fate and soulmates, I feel mm-hmm. like. And I like this idea that it's, like, there was always ties. Mm-hmm. But then I'm, like, no, that's weird because it, yeah. it, it was, if it went a different way, this would have been incest. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just an odd little thing to throw in normally when we have those things in movies we like it and it adds to the story so in this one it's just odd yeah it just feels a little weird insightful kid i don't think the kids are insightful they're just kids they're just kids they're used for comedy mm-hmm. right i think that the like continued spelling of fox is yeah. a pretty funny joke yes it's also like one of the there's a handful of little moments that are used to like indicate that he is the guy or he is fox or mm-hmm. he is the guy online one of them is the kid spelling F-O-X, mm-hmm. right? He can't spell cat or dog or any other animal, but he can spell fox because it's his name. Yeah. She doesn't clock that. She's just like, he just knows how to spell fox, I guess. That's just what this kid knows. Interesting. Story tropes, we do enemies to lovers, right? Especially, like, in that moment when he takes all the caviar at the party. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, what are you doing? She gets mad. And then he takes more caviar. Mm-hmm. They're enemies. Like, that's like, ooh, there's hate mm-hmm. there. There's there's something developing there. But we then, do pen pals to friends to enemies to friends to lovers. We go on a journey with these people. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I like that we have so many different dynamics between the two of them throughout the movie. Yeah. Dead mom. Her mom's dead. Mm-hmm. We use the dead mom trope. And she left her behind the shop. Mm-hmm. And there's all these emotions tied up in it. Which... Mm-hmm. The dead mom trope here, I do feel like it's important that her mom is dead because otherwise she wouldn't be the owner of the shop. Yes, and I think that she wouldn't care as much about the shop if it wasn't from her mom who passed away, Mm -hmm. right? Like, there's a lot built in there, so I I agree. I'm like, yeah, no, this is actually, this is a fine use of the trope, even though the dead parents trope is so tired Mm -hmm. and so lazy. It's also like... For rom-com makers in the future, it's okay to not mention their parents. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want to cast someone as the mom, so I'll just make them dead. It's like, you actually don't have to mention them. Yeah. There's, I don't remember where I heard it. I want to say on how did this get made, but there's like a lot of talk about name the moms. Mm. Actually, I think this is from school. I think that I learned this in school. It's like, just give the mom a name. A lot of projects the mom is just mom. Like, she doesn't have a name in the script. She's just mom. It's like, no, 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 no. Just give her a name. Give her a name. Like, give her something. Yeah. This is a version of that, right? It's like a laziness mm-hmm. around the, the character of the mom. Little bit of a tangent. Mm-hmm. But uh, Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods. None of the female characters have names. It's something that I know was, like, done with intention and, like, the history of it is interesting in that it's, like, calling out the way that women are treated in fairy tales. But Mm -hmm. it's... I know talking about that show in school all the time, it's like, you have to name the women. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that is where Give the Moms a Name stems from, is, like, this... We we have to, like, 
stop not giving women names. Yeah. But then, like, as you're saying with the Sondheim thing, it's like, no, no, no. If you're subverting it, mm-hmm. if you're doing it on purpose to prove a point, that's different. Yeah. And it's like the conversation about, like, media literacy and all that, where it's like, you have Absolutely. to be able to read, that, like, that's on purpose, guys. Like, mm-hmm. that means something. You can't just get outraged about it yeah. because you don't understand. Like, the most complex character in the show being named the baker's wife is a joke. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's to tell you something. It's to show you something. Yeah. Womanizer father, he's been married a bunch, like, yeah. why are you the way you are? Well, my dad, blah, yeah. blah, blah, that whole thing. And it leads to his concept of love, like we've talked about a little bit, but Joe's version of love is very image-based, mm-hmm. it seems, because he's with Patricia Eden, and she's a really interesting person because she's just like, eh, she's just not great. I wonder if, like, if we knew more about her, she'd be better. But I think that she's built to be a woman that you will not like, mm-hmm. right? Like, she's a character of a woman. She's not very—I've never met anyone like her. Yeah, and that being said, I feel like—I can't remember the character's name right now, but Kathleen's boyfriend Frank. is kind—Frank mm-hmm. is kind of the same, where it's like he's built to be someone that's just not likable. Yeah, and that's very intentional, and I'll bring it up again. Absolutely. How is the chemistry? We talked about it last week, and it's fun to see it here. Yes, they have great chemistry, and they've worked together three times at this point. Mm-hmm. We know they have chemistry. It's almost like you don't need to show us, you don't need to tell us, we just know. Yeah, when they're friends towards the end, mm-hmm. it's, that is just, like, such a wonderful together time montage. Yes. And I'm, like, so stressed. I'm, like, please just tell her who you are already. But... At the same time, I'm like, ah, it's so good to, like, see them happy together like this. Yeah. They have really good chemistry, and I really love when he shows up at her house and or her apartment, whatever mm-hmm. it is, and has flowers for her when she's sick. Like, he doesn't know she's sick. He just brought her flowers because he's like, yeah. I've decided I'm going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I've decided we're going to be together. We're going to figure this out. Well, and- I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to scheme <laughs> and plot and make her fall in love with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where have we seen this story before? So, we said our Cinderella story, Camp Rock. Mm-hmm. Other things I have written down, much more recent projects. Okay. Um, Love, Simon. Is oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Emails. Yeah. Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the Netflix miniseries, Dash and Lily. Oh, yeah, I watched, like, an episode of that. Yeah, yeah. which is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but also mentions River. It mentions that in both of them and how mm-hmm. that's not really a Christmas song, but it's a Christmas song. Yeah. And is the same, like, exchanging letters back and forth. hmm So we haven't seen it here, but this is where the story comes from, is that writer I mentioned at the beginning, mm-hmm. Miklos Laszlo, he wrote a Hungarian play called Perfumery. And it's a, from 1937, and it's been adapted many times. It was adapted into The Shop Around the Corner in 1940, which was a film. And this movie is a remake of that movie from 1940. In 1949, Robert Z. Leonard adapted The Shop Around the Corner into a movie musical titled In the Good Old Summertime. It starred Judy Garland and Van Johnson. And the story was again adapted in 1963 by Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnick into a Broadway musical titled She Loves Me. Mm-hmm. The other influences, right, that we see in this story are Pride and Prejudice in Kathleen and Joe's relationship. And then the ones I mentioned were The Perfect Man, Sleepless in Seattle, and A Cinderella Story. Yeah. 
those are places we've seen it, but that was the history of kind of like where the story comes from originally. She Loves Me was recently revived on Broadway, and the full show is available online if anyone wants to watch it. Interesting. It's an insane production. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hmm. Is it funny? I have just a handful of quotes here. Yeah, it's funny. It's like... It's funny in a quiet way. Yes. It's one of those ones you like chuckle throughout, but you're Mm -hmm. not like, ha, 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 laugh out loud. There's not gag comedy. No. Which is the comedy we don't like, so I think that's why this works. Mm -hmm. It's very just like quiet one-liners that you're like, oh, that was clever of you. Mm -hmm. I'll share a couple that I have here. I have so many, actually, so I'll share some of these. George, who works at the bookshop with Mm -hmm. Kathleen, he's talking to Joe, and he's showing him a book, and he says, the uh, illustrations are hand-tipped, and Joe says, and that's why it costs so much, and George says, no, that's why it's worth so much, which is funny, but also just, like, a good moment. Yeah. It's just good writing. It's, like, a cool moment that's, I don't know, really telling about Joe. And telling about the, like, care of books and, like, what is important to both sides of mm-hmm. the bookshop. Yeah. Annabelle at the bookstore says, my dad's my dad buys me all the books I want. And Kathleen looks at Joe and mm-hmm. says, that's very nice of him. And Annabelle says... That's not my dad. That's my nephew. <laughs> my dad gets me all the books I want. Well, that's very nice of him. Oh, that's not my dad. That's my nephew. The relationships between the kids and Joe mm-hmm. are one of the funny things in the movie for sure. Oh, yeah. And it's simple and then it kind of goes away and the kids don't come back. They're in the beginning, but that's kind of it. But Annabelle is a little girl that is his aunt. Yes. Yeah. And then he has a brother who is younger than Annabelle even. Mm-hmm. Really funny little dynamic. The moment in the bookshop when the kid keeps spelling the last name Fox, Mm -hmm. very funny how Joe stops the kids from talking. Like, he shuts up his aunt, he quiets the boy with the book, the whole thing is funny. When they're talking at the party, Frank is talking to Joe, and Frank says, how do you sleep at night? Like, you put these little shops out of business. Mm -hmm. And before anyone can say anything, Patricia Eden appears and she mentions like a drug that she takes every night she's like oh i take this and it's just like you're horrible and then it flashes to them later like falling asleep and joe's like i really can't sleep and she's already knocked out (laughs) and i'm like the drug that's where it is Mm -hmm. also frank and his typewriters and his whole anti-technology point of view has a lot of like weirdly silly one-liners in it Mm -hmm. where I think it's like funnier now looking back on him being like the internet is gonna ruin western civilization and I'm like Mm -hmm. silly guy you silly boy if you only knew when they're talking online Kathleen and Joe he references the godfather Mm -hmm. and she says what is it with men and the godfather and that moment is like a hint to her right like because they had seen each other previously at the party and he mentions the godfather at the party And then he mentions it online, and it's like, see, it's the same guy because he's mentioning the Godfather. Mm -hmm. What I like is that us as the audience are like, ah, can't you see it? Like, oh my gosh, it's the same guy, obviously. And then Frank comes in, and she references the Godfather as Joe referenced it. She Mm -hmm. says the thing that he said about go to the mattresses. And Frank immediately understands the reference. So it's kind of like the movie is laughing at us. Like, yeah, yeah, you thought that that was going to make it obvious. Like, every guy knows these references. It could be anyone. There's also the moment after the breakups where she goes, everyone's breaking up. You, me, this other guy I know just got broken up with outside an elevator. Yes, and it's him. Him. Yeah, because she talks to him online and then she's seeing 
offline, Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's the Sorkinese banter, which I mentioned last week, right? Yes. That Nora and Sorkin kind of write similarly. Kathleen has this thing of when she finds out that it's him, she says, I thought all that Fox stuff was so charming. F-O-X. Well, I didn't lie about it. Joe? Just call me Joe? Sure. As if you were one of those stupid 22-year-old girls with no last name. Hi, I'm Kimberly. Hi, I'm Janice. Don't they know you're supposed to have a last name? It's like they're an entire generation of cocktail waitresses. Look. I am not a 22-year-old cocktail waitress. That is not what I meant. And when I said the thing about the price club and the cans of olive oil, well, that's not what I meant. Oh, you poor, sad multimillionaire. I feel so sorry for you. I love that kind of banter. Yes. And then... We have another moment of that banter where it's, and the only thing we'd ever fight about is what movie to watch. And she goes, who would fight about that? And then they're, like, not fighting, but, like, kind of bickering Mm -hmm. about the fact that they wouldn't fight if they were together. Yeah. It's cute. There's a couple more that I have, so I'll share my last few. Um, He says, don't you love New York in the fall? It makes me want to buy school supplies. I would send you a bouquet of newly sharpened pencils if I knew your name and address. I think that's a pretty quoted line from the mm-hmm. movie, too. It's just a cute little silly one. One of the funniest moments to me in the movie, I didn't notice on previous watches, but I really enjoyed this time, when Kathleen and Frank go to the movies and she's telling him about Birdie, who is like her bookkeeper, co-worker. She works at the bookshop. Mm-hmm. Birdie fell in love with the King of Spain. Yes. Do you remember this part? Yeah. She's like, Birdie fell in love with the King of Spain. And she says, it happened in Spain. People do really stupid things in foreign countries. And Frank is, like, outraged. He says, absolutely. They buy leather jackets for much more than they're worth, but they don't fall in love with fascist dictators. It's just a silly moment that I found so funny and, like, adds nothing to the plot. Yeah. There's also the moment with Bernie when she's finding that out and Mm -hmm. Bernie's like, aren't you going to ask me who I was? That I think is just so funny. Yeah. Like, Birdie's dying to tell this story, but she can't just say it. It's her big story. The last funny moment I have, I don't even know when it happens in the movie. It's like she's writing online to Joe, and she says, once I write a story about a butterfly in the subway, and today I saw one. It got on at 42nd and off at 59th, where I assume it was going to Bloomingdale's to buy a hat that will turn out to be a mistake, as almost all hats are. That is, like, a very good Nora line. I love Uh, it. It's just the thing of buy a hat that's going to be a mistake, as all hats are. Cute and funny and, like, true. Most hats are mistakes. Yeah. You don't need a hat. It's that stream of conscious that is just Mm -hmm. Nora can do so well. Yeah. Are we ready for biggest strength and biggest weakness? This is where I have a lot to say. Okay, let's get into it. And I'm hoping, I'm really hoping, hoping I can figure some stuff out. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, the strengths in this movie and the weaknesses in this movie are kind of one and the same for me. Okay. So one of the things that I like is they're in competition, right? Like, And I can't remember how they make it work in the end. I've seen this movie multiple times, but when I started it, I was like, I do not remember how they work this out. Because I know they end up together. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this is going to work, though. And as the movie unfolds, I'm like, oh, right, okay, wait, nope, still don't know. Like, I can't remember how it works out in the end. And then we get there and I'm like, okay, got it. Because the big thing is this, he puts her out of business problem, right? Like, that's the big problem. So she has to close her store. It is heartbreaking and she's, like, destroyed by it. She bounces back weirdly quickly, which Mm -hmm. is weird, but also, like, you go, girl. You know? Like, I'm like, okay, sure. She's just, like, super strong. Love it. 
she has like a moment of sadness about it. Like we get her talking about how mm-hmm. it's really sad for her. Um, it is insane that she could be dealing with this devastation and he is the one that has caused her the most devastation she has ever experienced mm-hmm. and they still fall in love. That's insane. But also, it's very realistic that her business would go under. Yeah. So that's a big hang-up people have is that he puts her out of business. People can't get past that problem with the movie. But I'm Mm -hmm. like, that's kind of what makes the movie work is that it's a real problem here mixed in, you know? Yeah. I think that something that helps her bounce back is she tried everything to save her business. Yeah. There's no what if which mm-hmm. I think might make it a little bit easier for her to bounce back. Yeah. But it's still, like, I know we have to move on with the plot, but, like, this would t- this would take a minute. Yeah. I do like that, though. Like, she tries everything that she can, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But it's realistic that, like, yeah, no, you're a tiny bookstore, and this big bookstore is going to put you out of business. They mm-hmm. have better prices, and they have more variety, and they have this and that. Like, this is what happened, and yeah. this is what would happen. What's funny is that it's a giant bookstore and like giant bookstores have now been closing. Mm -hmm. So kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. Another moment that like going back to, is it funny is after her bookstore close closes, she goes and sits in the children's section of Fox books. Mm -hmm. And this whole movie she's been saying like, but what we have going for us is that we know the books and we are like actual helpful salespeople. Mm -hmm. And you see the salespeople at Fox books just be like, terrible at their job Mm -hmm. and she's like she knows what book the customer is looking for and starts sobbing as she's Mm -hmm. like but the skating shoes are out of print yes it's a really sweet moment Mm -hmm. and joe sees the whole thing happen and it's a sweet moment of like it's funny because he goes on this journey of like discovering his humanity Mm -hmm. but it happens as so it's like okay offline joe real Mm -hmm. life joe is discovering his humanity because he is this, like, business guy, shuts down businesses, I don't care, I'm all about money, money, money. But online, he's already sweet with Kathleen. Yeah. Right? So it's weird. It's kind of like that version of him is slowly coming out throughout the movie, and mm-hmm. that's the journey. Um, I think that's, like, what I'm trying to put together right now is that whole thing of, like, what is his journey that he's going on? Because it doesn't feel – on one hand, it doesn't feel like he's going on a journey mm-hmm. because online he's consistent – But on the other hand, it does because he does grow and become more human in real life. Another strength Mm -hmm. is her and Frank's breakup, to me, is a real strength of the movie. Mm -hmm. I love that scene. Me too. I love a good breakup scene. Yeah. Whether it's like a really emotionally devastating one or if it's a one like this one. Mm -hmm. Right? And they're just, like, laughing. Yeah, they just agree. They're like, oh, we make sense together on paper, but there's nothing here. There's no chemistry. Mm -hmm. We don't really like each other. And then they just want the best for each other. Yeah. Very sweet. And then they're laughing and just, like, having a good time. The other big hang-up people have with the movie, the emotional cheating. So they're both in relationships, but they're having this online relationship. But I think it really does feel like a friendship. Mm -hmm. Still, I get it. I'm like, yeah, this is, like, this is shady territory. But again, we have to have these things in these movies. Otherwise, we're just watching two pieces of toast slowly get toasted. Yes. I don't know. Like, yes. right? You have to have complicated characters and complicated elements and, like, 
shaky ground to stand on for mm-hmm. a while in order to have like a fulfilling story that you feel like yeah, I watched something actually happen. Yes. I do feel like it's a friendship. It's definitely emotional cheating. And what makes me think, oh, they know what they're doing is wrong, but they can't stop because the chemistry is too much, which Mm -hmm. is what you want in a rom-com. Yeah. It's what you want. Yeah. Is both of them wait to email each other until their partners have left for the day. Mm -hmm. And they, like, watch them to make sure they're far enough away that they're not going to come back. And then they sit down to email. Yeah. The other thing that helps with the emotional cheating of, like, us being okay with it as an audience, Mm -hmm. neither of their partners are right for them. Yes. That's so purposeful. Like, you can't have, like, this perfect guy and this perfect girl. Like, they Mm -hmm. all, everybody's happy and lovely and all perfect, and then they emotionally cheat and leave them. Like, it doesn't make sense. Mm -mm. People wouldn't buy in. So having their partners, Patricia and Frank, be unlikable or difficult or whatever helps. Yes. We need that. And I already said it, that it's, like, hard for me to watch him not tell her. But it's, like, as a movie, it's intentional and purposeful, and I understand that. But, like, emotionally watching it, I just am, like, I I can't do it. It just makes me so nervous. It's so funny, because that's how I feel so frequently with Mm -hmm. all kinds of movies and TV shows. But I don't have that feeling when I watch this movie. Yeah. I'm, like... Okay, well, here we go. We're on the ride. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, happens. I know where we're ending, so it's fine. But normally that's how I am with, like, all media. Yeah. I just can't handle it. Yeah, like, I'll wait for shows to be completely done before I watch them because I need to know how it's going to end, who's going to be together, and, like, yeah. if it's all going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just, like, in his mastermind moment. and Yeah, he um, totally is. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so... I have so much more to say. I hope that this makes sense. I'm going to just go through my notes and try to make sense of it. This movie is very standard rom-com, and yet I was frequently surprised by it, and I couldn't exactly predict it. And I think that if you watch it kind of like this, you're going to see it as like a more interesting movie than if you just watch it and let it kind of wash over you. Like in the past, I just let it wash over me, and I'm like... Standard rom-com, nothing special or weird about it, nothing unique, boring stories. But this time I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is complicated. And there's things that are just, like, not standard about this movie and in ways that I really loved and appreciated. A couple of them that I can point to is the way that Joe finds out that it's her and she doesn't, like you were saying, is Mm -hmm. a problem for you. I like that because it's a little bit unexpected, right? So the way that Joe finds out... It doesn't surprise me, which is why it surprises me. I'm going to try to explain this. I've had the same experience before. Because it's a rom-com, you expect, oh, they're setting it up like he's going to find out, Mm -hmm. but then he won't. Like, it's going to be a bait and switch, and he won't find out that it's her, right? But then he does. And what's most surprising is that his friend is the one that tells him. So Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle's character goes up to the window or to the door or whatever and looks in, and he sees her and sees who it is and this is when joe has the line about like if she's not if she even if she looks like mailbox i should still marry her you know because she's perfect and he goes up the friend goes up to the window and is looking in at the cafe spying on the girl or whatever and says you You know know what what? she look i mean she almost has the same color in as that Kathleen Kelly person. Kathleen Kelly of the Little Bookstore. Well, why not? You said you thought she was attractive. Absolutely, yes. Why not? Who cares about Kathleen Kelly? Well, if you don't like Kathleen Kelly, I can tell you right now, you ain't gonna like this girl. 
Why not? Because it is Kathleen Kelly. It's really weird for a movie to give that kind of significant moment away. They give that moment away to the friend instead of having it be Joe that sees her or Mm -hmm. Kathleen that sees him or them seeing each other. They don't do the big moment. They give the moment to somebody else, which is fascinating. And I don't know if people notice that when they watch this movie just watching it, but watching it this way, I was like, holy shit, that's so crazy to do. Yeah. And they do it earlier, too. When they're at the party, a guy, they talk, and then a guy comes up to Kathleen. I don't know who it is or if he's relevant even. He's not in any other scene. Yeah, but this guy comes up to her and says, I can't believe you were talking to Joe Fox. And she is like, oh my gosh, that's Joe Fox of Fox Books. And then she figures out who he is in the context of the world, right? So it's interesting that they have two major reveals happen in throwaway moments. Not throwaway moments, but like Mm -hmm. given away moments. Super casually. Yes. It's very interesting and much more realistic Mm -hmm. to life, I think. Mm -hmm. Which, again, is unusual in a rom-com, especially one that looks and feels like this. This is so rom-com, which we've just learned in our brains. Like, rom-com equals unrealistic. But there's a couple random moments in here where you're like, wait a minute, that's super real. This is odd. This whole scene, let's spend some time here. Okay. This whole scene of she is waiting to meet him and he doesn't show up, and then he does show up, but not as online Joe as offline Joe, right? Mm -hmm. It's very interesting, and I have lots of thoughts here. I have lots of thoughts that I'm trying to make sense of. So he chooses not to go meet her, right? It's a moment of cruelty by Mm -hmm. not showing up, but it's also a moment of kindness because he chooses not to humiliate her by revealing himself, right? Mm Because if he did go in and say, like, hi, it's me, she would be, like, embarrassed or humiliated or devastated or something. Like, she would have a big reaction and it wouldn't go very well. And he, I think that he knows that, and that's part of his decision. But he hurts the online version of himself by being an ass and not showing up. Mm -hmm. And then he goes in and he's an asshole to her, and then he's hurting the real-life version of himself. I'm like, why are you making the decisions you're making? I can't quite figure it out. But parts of it make sense. When he goes in and talks to her about Pride and Prejudice, and he says, I, I bet, bet you read, read that. that book every year. I bet you just love that Mr. Darcy. And your sentimental heart just beats wildly at the thought that he and, um, well, you know, whatever her name is, are truly, honestly going to end up together. Hitting the nail on the head here of, like, they're uh-huh. never, they couldn't be together, even though they do. Yeah. And then that him and Kathleen could never be together, but they do. Yes. So really funny little moment there of, like, hitting the nail on the head and also him just being a jerk. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you being a jerk? Like, you hate her, but you love her, and you don't know what to do about it. And I think what's happening is that in this scene, he's being a dick to her to further her ability to hate him. He doesn't see a way for them to possibly be together, so his solution is, I'm just going to blow it up because it can't work, even though I want it to work. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to blow it up now and save myself from the pain and rejection and heartbreak that's going to come later. Yeah. That's, I think, what's happening in that moment, right? And that makes sense. Yeah, and he wants her to not like him so that it's easier for her, right? Like, it's Mm -hmm. a unique way of letting her down easy, I think. Um, He also, though, is showing up because he goes and he sits down with her. So he, in a way, it's like he is following through. He did show up. Yeah. But he just showed up differently. It's really weird. Um, The moment in the movie that things change is when he talks to his dad about love 
And then he realizes he's in love with Kathleen, and then he goes and gets her flowers, and suddenly they feel like they're friends, right? It's this whole sequence where he shows up, and they kind of just start talking, and she's like, I don't want you here, but then she immediately just kind of lets her guard down, and they just feel like friends, and then they start bumping into each other, and it's his mastermind moment, as you said, Mm -hmm. of him kind of plotting to get her to like real-life Joe a little bit more before he reveals his secret identity. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing about that is, like, the first time that I watched this, I don't know how I missed it, but I was like, oh, it is crazy how similar their routines are and they never noticed. Like, I didn't clock that he was intentionally running into her. Yeah. 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 I don't know how it all works like that, but it's... Yeah. 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 So, an example of them kind of growing together is the way that he helps her, like, learn to say what she means when she means it, say the thing that she wants to say when she wants to say it. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting little element to their relationship, and she says that she can never say the thing she wants to say in the moment. She fumbles it every time. Mm -hmm. And Joe tells her, but then on the, like, I always get it right, like, I always say the thing, but then on the other hand, I must warn you, when you finally have the pleasure of saying the thing you mean, at the moment you mean to say it, remorse inevitably follows. And then in person, they later have this conversation. This is like when they're hating each other in person. I think you'd discover a lot of things if you really knew me. If I really knew you, I know what I would find. Instead of a brain, a cash register. Instead of a heart, a bottom line. What? I just had a breakthrough. What is it? I have you to thank for it. For the first time in my life, when confronted with a horrible, insensitive person, I knew exactly what I wanted to say, and I said it. This is like a rom-com girly fantasy, right? Like, Yes. And I'm sure that you thought of the same thing. Did you think of Nora Princiati? Uh-huh. Okay, so <laughs> we're massive Taylor Swift fans. If, you haven't, if you're a Taylor Swift fan, you don't know the podcast, every single album, go listen to all of it. It's great. But Nora Princiati, who's the host of that, she says at one point that, do you know what song she's talking about? Um, oh, gosh, I can't even place it. I want to say, like, You're Not Sorry, or Should Have Said No, like... It's an early album. Yeah. She talks about this thing of girls, like, we kind of have this idea that more important than anything in, like, a breakup or whatever is nailing the tell-off line. Yes. Nailing that line of, like, gotcha, and, like, turning and walking away. You light the match, and you walk away. That tell-off line is so important, and so... We've kind of been taught that through media over the years. Like, we really want that moment of, like, I want to say the right thing and I want to walk away. Yes. And that's kind of what we have here with Kathleen. And it's fun to see it all kind of play out. And, like, he helps her do it even though he's, like, rooting against himself. It's this whole thing. Yeah. Visually, this movie, just some more strengths. Visually, the nostalgia, the 90s. It's such a great visual movie. Yeah. It's really simple. It has this, like, nostalgia for a simpler time of, like, pre-social media, Mm -hmm. pre Lots of things, you know, just simple and easy. Mm -hmm. It feels like life was just easy, even though she's going out of business. But still, it's like a a nostalgic time period. Yeah. The premise builds a structure that would lead to no together time. And And yet, yet, they have so much together time. We have, like, two different versions of them falling in love. We Mm -hmm. have them falling in love online and enemies to lovers in real life. So... You get a lot of, like, a lot of meat out of this movie, right? Mm -hmm. You get a lot out of it. And it's the opposite of Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. Right? It totally is. They both have this premise that leads to no together time, and one of them doesn't give you any, and one of them gives you so much. Mm -hmm. 
I really appreciate that. I do want to point out there's something that I've seen recently online about why people love enemies to lovers that I think rings true. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really true for Joe's character in this movie Mm -hmm. is that the idea of enemies to lovers is that someone could know the worst version of you, Mm. the way that you treat the person you hate the most, and yet they still want to be with you. And I think that that circling back to what you were saying about like Joe being a jerk to her when he comes into the cafe is he like, wants her to hate him because that's easier but then to have her love him anyway it means that much more yeah it's a Mm -hmm. that's totally it that's that's why i think it works for so many people as a trope and um it also just builds in that passion and that tension that's Mm -hmm. like just kind of electric on screen yeah it's very fun is the casting good who could make it better it's good casting. Like, this casting, the casting is one of the biggest strengths, mm-hmm. right? I didn't think of any casting of, like, at the time, who else could have done this role. Mm-hmm. I did think of some things that are more current, but I do want to say part of why this casting works and is important, Tom Hanks, as you said, this character, tough. He's tough, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he does bad things. He shuts down her business. He says just mean things to her. He's just yeah. kind of not nice. And then he, like, grows and he, like, you see, like, oh, you're actually a really sweet guy. You're a softy. You're a nice mm-hmm. guy. You're growing. You're learning all of that. I think that that's why the kids have to be in this movie. Yeah, they soften him a little mm-hmm. bit, right? The other thing is you have to have an actor like Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. who is so lovable and likable, play that kind of role. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to get past that. You know? Like, yeah, there's certain actors that you don't just love immediately. Like, you like them and they're fine, you know, but Mm -hmm. you don't have that, like, trust of them, right? Like, Tom Hanks is someone that I think that most people just kind of trust. Yes. And so seeing him in this role, he plays this mean guy, but you almost don't even notice. You can forgive so much because you're like, it's Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. Even though you know he's Joe Fox, you're like, yeah, "Yeah, I get it. You're, like, playing that guy. That's cool. But, like, but you're Tom Hanks. But you're Tom Hanks. I forgive it. It's fine. If you're doing it, it's probably fine. Yeah. Do you want to hear, like, my modern casting ideas? Yeah, I have one modern casting idea for okay. each role, but okay. I want to hear yours. For the guys, I have three names. Mm-hmm. Taron Egerton. Uh-huh. That's a good one. Andrew Garfield. Yeah, that's a good one. Simu Liu. They're all just, like, lovable guys. Yes. That can do that kind of thing, right? Like, and you like seeing them play an asshole, kind of, right? Like, yeah. don't you want to see Andrew Garfield be a jerk? Yes, I... Like, it would make me like him more. Yeah, what's was, wrong with me? When know? I was trying to find character guys who could play this, I said, men who can play rich but also look a little bit approachable is yeah. what I googled. Unfortunately, yeah. that didn't help. Weird. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Strange. I was specific. I told you exactly what I needed. I made this easy for you. Yeah. Um, I have Paul Rudd written down just because it's another, like... Totally. ...likable man. Totally. Oh, yeah. I would love that. Paul Rudd rom-coms are a rarity. Mm-hmm. There's a few... There's yeah. a few, I think, but... The only one I can think of right now is Clueless, and it's a little different. I know. I wanted to say The Switch, but The Switch is Jason Bateman, but Paul yeah. Rudd could have done it. I have three ladies written down. I don't love any of these ideas, but I do think that they all could have done it. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Olsen, Mila Kunis, Blake Lively. I have Zoe Deschanel. Oh, yeah. Totally. She just gives children's bookstore owner. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I would have loved to see Blake Lively do this. Because I think it would be a very different take on the character. Yeah. But it would work. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. The the easy out. The easy choice here. Mm-hmm. 
Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone. Right. They can play the love-hate thing. Mm-hmm. We saw it in Crazy Stupid Love. They're also an iconic pairing, like yeah. Hanks and Ryan. And he can play a lovable jerk. Oh, yeah. Right? And that's what he, doing. That's what Do he it. does in Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah. He's like this asshole, but then actually he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. We could also throw Ryan Reynolds in here. Often, yeah. But like... It's... What if we did Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively? <laughs> so. <laughs> so we have an idea. Yeah. Uh, the supporting mm-hmm. cast in this movie is also good. We have Dave Chappelle, Parker Posey, Steve Zahn, Greg Kinnear, and Heather Burns. I want to point out Greg Kinnear plays one of multiple men in a handful of movies. In the movie Sabrina, I'm pretty sure. I haven't seen it, so I can't mm-hmm. say for certain, but I think so. And then one of our favorites, Someone Like You, he plays, like, the other guy huh. in that one, too. Yeah. Heather Burns, I have to point out, this is only her fourth project. It's her first, like, major project. She did an episode of Law & Order, which is major, but, like, she was a guest in one episode. Yeah. Not the same. She's a Judy Greer. She, she is. She is a Judy Greer. We just don't talk about her. And she hasn't done as many as Judy Greer, but she was in... Miss Congeniality 1 and 2, Two Weeks Notice, You've Got Mail, Bewitched, and What's Your Number? Yeah. You've Got Mail and Bewitched are both Nora Ephron, so that's interesting to me. But yeah, Heather Burns is really, she's sweet, and she's yeah. fun to see on screen. She just seems really likable. She feels so likable. Yeah. What movies does this feel similar to? If you liked Blank, you'd like this. This is so easy. Sleepless in Seattle, When Harry Met Sally, and then a bunch of other 90s ones, right? Like Notting Hill, Two Weeks Notice, While You Were Sleeping, My Big Bad Greek Wedding, The Wedding Planner. All of those are kind of same time period, same type of movie. Exactly. Yeah. Some pretty easy options. If you're looking for a movie that's more current, but kind of has a similar feel, Life as We Know It and Just Right are just like mm-hmm. basic standard rom-coms that are just good and they're bright. Yes. Yeah. Also similar, as I said, I have to tell you, a Cinderella story. A Cinderella story. Another Cinderella story. <laughs> yes, a classic. Everyone's favorite. Yeah. It really is the, like, that trope of, I don't even know how to succinctly put this trope of, like, we know each other, but we also don't know each other, but we know each other. Yes. Yeah, it's like a weird, it's a, such a strange, specific trope. Yeah. But yeah, it exists, and it's a, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. The cultural impact. Part of the 90s rom-coms. Part of the heyday of rom-coms. It's part of Tom and Meg's iconic roles. The concept of the Meg Ryan fall. Right? Like, such a thing. Um, It's a classic. It's so nostalgic. Part of Nora Ephron's filmography. It's one that just comes up a lot. It's a lot of people's favorite movie. Yeah. It's a good movie. And I love that watching it this time, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so much more complicated than I realized. Mm -hmm. And I still feel like I haven't fully dug in as far as I could. Like, I could really spend time, like, digging into this and analyzing this movie and making sense of it. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see when the next time the story will be told is. Just because when you're talking about the history of, like, where the story came Mm -hmm. from, it's just, it gets remade and remade and remade. Yeah. And updated for the times. And it's funny because now I feel like it could even be like the Kathleen character owns a Barnes and Noble and we have an Amazon executive right and it's like weird it's so strange how this concept like you couldn't you could not remake this movie shot for shot or like you know with this exact script because of the online dating and the fact that it's a bookstore it's like yeah small bookstores are in business I think more than those big bookstores because if you're gonna buy at Mm -hmm. a big bookstore you're just gonna buy online but if you're gonna try to go buy one in person you're going to go to a small bookstore yeah because there's been like a big push for that it's 
very interesting how this movie is so specifically dated. So right? specifically dated. A very specific time when this all made sense. And I feel like that's part of its cultural impact. Mm-hmm. Okay, something weird with cultural impact that it doesn't really fit here, but I gotta talk about it. We did the movie Marry Me. Mm-hmm. It has the most insane, aggressive product placement I've ever seen in a movie, right? Like, the blender and the this and the that. Like, so much product placement. Uh-huh. So does this one. I saw, like, not much criticism of that. But then this movie, it has product placement for sure. Like, AOL and this and that, whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't really notice a whole lot of product placement, but it was there for sure. This movie got a lot of grief for it. Huh. So, I'm going to read you a couple quotes. Uh, Rolling Stone later included You've Got Mail in their list of most egregious product placement in movie and TV history for the film's frequent use of AOL trademarks. AOL would later merge with film distributor Warner Brothers' parent company, Time Warner, to to form AOL Time Warner in 2000. Kind of interesting there. But another quote here, and I believe this is about You've Got Mail, but it could be about Marry Me. We'll find out as I read it. Michael O'Sullivan of the Washington Post criticized the film's use of product placement and its overly adorable characters, writing, For some reason, this film made me feel like a Christmas goose being flattened for slaughter. Fattened for slaughter. It's a force-fed diet of whimsy cloyed long before the eagerly anticipated romantic payoff arrived to put me out of my misery. Crazy quote about this movie, but... Compared to Marry Me, there was so much criticism of the product placement in this movie, and I was shocked by it. Just shocked. There's definitely a lot of product placement in this movie if we're talking about AOL. Like, there's no doubt about it. However. It's part of the story. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, it makes sense. It serves the plot. Yeah, it's kind of necessary. We've already kind of answered this. Does it hold up? Yes, like story... The, the there's nothing in here that I'm like whoa holy shit, mm-hmm. but you couldn't make this movie today, right? Yes, it is very very specifically dated, mm-hmm. but the emotions hold up in a way that makes it still an enjoyable and relatable story. Yeah, I think that if some people would probably disagree about it holding up because of the problematic things of like the emotional cheating and him putting her business out of business. Absolutely. Right? But I'm like, no, that's not reasons it doesn't mm-hmm. hold up. That's just you as a viewer being unable to watch a complicated story. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, yes, that's tough. Like, that, those are tough things for mm-hmm. sure. But what do you want out of your media then if you can't handle that? Like, sorry. Yeah, I think that, like, that kind of stuff... There are things about this that don't hold up because times have changed. Mm -hmm. But like I said, the emotions hold up strong enough that it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think a movie today that has the elements that we just mentioned there, the emotional cheating and the his business shutting down her business. If you have a movie like this one with those elements, your movie feels more like an indie movie or you have to do Mm -hmm. it more like an indie movie where it's like, You expect that complicated stuff. You expect, like, difficult things and imperfectness and, like, mean characters that have another side to them. But rom-coms today, when they look shiny like this, don't have anything like that, right? Or Mm -hmm. it has to have an ending where it's, like, her shop doesn't close or there's a clear answer Mm -hmm. of how their relationship is going to move past that. Yeah. Whereas this kind of—this movie does leave that element— 
a little ambiguous Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's like, how are they going to deal with the fact that that's their past? Yeah. But I think that there's going to be like, they're going to be together forever Mm -hmm. and like, eventually they're not even going to think about that part of their history. Absolutely. Right? Like, it's not going to be relevant to their lives. They're going to have so much life together that that part of it is just gone. Mm -hmm. They don't really think about it. I think. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But I do think if you do those two elements and you do a movie today, it has to be more like that indie feel. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of weird. Would you recommend it? Yeah. Yeah. I just don't because I assume everyone's seen it. Yeah, and I think that that's the case with a lot of the, like, classic rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Would you watch it again? Probably not soon. Yeah. But In a probably... couple years in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. Overall grade A through F. I gave it an A. Complicated characters, mm-hmm. complicated arcs, yet still overall likable. Yeah, I gave it a B plus. I think that it's a good movie, but I didn't like ways that I felt during the movie. Yeah. Whereas, like, so, I really but... enjoyed the complexity here. Yeah. It's unusual. And it's, like, him shutting down her business, I was like, yeah, those are complex characters. I like that. That doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. But just him keeping that secret, I was like, I need you to tell her right now. So, B plus for me, A for you. It's a good movie, though. I would give it a watch if you haven't seen it. Thanks for listening to Rom Commentary. We'll be back next Wednesday to break down another rom-com. To find out what movie we're talking about next or to share your thoughts on these movies, you can follow us on Instagram at rom.commentary. Special thanks to Megan Hayes for providing our theme music. We'll be back next week with more rom commentary.